This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. You know, growing up in Florida, I did a lot of fishing. My dad had a boat, and on any given weekend, we would be out in Tampa Bay or out in the Gulf, and we'd go fishing. And whenever you went fishing, of course, one of the main things you had to have was, along with your rod and reel, you had to have bait. And that bait. Now, when we fished in the salt water, we had shrimp, or we had certain lures. And we had all kinds of ways to get that ready. But when I moved up to the Carolinas, things changed. And ironically, while I fished all my life growing up, when I moved up here, I've never been fishing in fresh water. I've even been back to Tampa, and a couple of times going back to Tampa, we went out to one of the piers and just went fishing. But I've never fished in fresh water. And I understand that when you fish in fresh water, one of the key elements of bait is a worm. You got to get worms. Listen, I watch Leave It to Beaver enough to know you have to have a pocket full of worms when you go freshwater fishing. Because that's what fish is like. They like worms. I don't know about you, but I like strawberries. Okay, I can eat strawberries all day long. Love strawberries. Here's the thing, two things I really don't like. Liver mush and worms. Can't tell the difference between the two of them really. No, I mean, but I don't like worms. And so you know what? It would be ridiculous if I said, you know what? The fish like worms, but they're just wrong. So I'm going to get me a a, a basket of strawberries and I'm going to go out to one of the ponds or the rivers or lakes around here and I'm going to bait up my hook with a strawberry and and I'm going to try to catch me a stringer of fish. You know what I'll catch? I'll catch a cold, but I won't catch any fish. See, I like strawberries, but if I want to be effective in fishing, I got to use worms and I don't like worms. See, if I want to be successful in that endeavor, I've got to put my preferences aside and make sure that I'm doing something that's going to get the job done. And that's what we're talking about today as we continue the series, I Am a Church Member. We've talked about unity in the church. We've talked about the body of Christ. This morning, as we talk about being a church member, the title of the message right from Rainer's book is, I will not let my church be about my preferences and desires. And that's one of the biggest problems in churches today. And here's the thing, it always has been. Ever since the church was founded, there have always been people who thought church should go their way. I want this to be this way, I want that to be that way, and if it doesn't go this way, I'm going to get mad, take my ball, and go home. Now, in the early church, there wasn't a whole lot of choices. And after the church really got going, it was dangerous to even be a part of a worshiping community. You can be thrown in prison, you could lose your family, you could lose your life gathering as the church to worship. And it's interesting because back in that day, they didn't have buildings to argue about, budgets to fuss about, carpet to get anxious about, chairs, pews, flags, plants. They didn't have any of those things. As a matter of fact, in Rome, they met in the sewer. 
I wonder how many today, I wonder today if, if, if I got on the, on the phone tree and I put out an email that said, West Concord Baptist Church, hope you're having a great day. Next week, we're going to go meet in the sewer. Who's up for it? Don't raise your hand because you'll be embarrassed. Okay. Preferences. I want it my way. And I tell you, because of that, the church has been crusted up with all sorts of things over the last 2,000 years. Sort of like a snowball going down the hill. The further it goes down, the more it collects. I love this quote by Soren Kierkegaard, who was a, a philosopher and a thinker, claimed to be a believer, that, that the jury is out on that. But this is what he said. He said, I went into the church and sat on the velvet pew. I watched as the sun came shining through the stained glass windows. The minister dressed in a velvet robe, opened the golden gilded Bible, marked it with a silk bookmark and said, if any man will be my disciple, said Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross, sell what he has, give it to the poor and follow me. And Kierkegaard sat there and said, and I looked around and no one was laughing. Do you see the hypocrisy that he saw? Do you see the picture not looking quite right? Have you ever seen that in a newspaper where they have two cartoons together and they almost look exactly alike, but one of them is a little different, one of them is not quite right? And if you're sharp enough, you can get it. I hope you and I are sharp enough this morning to see something. Oftentimes we pad the church, we, we puff the church, we fix out the church to, to make us happy, to make us comfortable. We make things convenient, we make things easy. We like the music we like, we like the friends we like, we like the seat we sit in, we like, here's, I like this, I like that, I like the preacher to go this long, I like the, the deacons to do this thing, and we get caught up in preferences and we lose the point. That's why Rainer in his book included a chapter in talking about church membership. And I think it's one of the greatest books on church membership ever written, actually. And it's a small book. As Aaron said in the announcements, it's a, it's a simple read. It's easy to read. But it's profound in that he nails it on the head what church membership is to be. And if you and I are going to be the church membership, or the church members rather, that we need to be, we need to first start with the truths of the Bible where we're going to focus this morning. This is what Rayner said in the chapter on personal preferences. He said this, he said, the strange thing about church and church membership is that you actually give up your preferences when you join. You know, and let me stop there. He said, you actually are supposed to give up your preferences when you join. But it's an amazing thing how often we even use our preferences to choose churches. I want to have this great program. I want to have this kind of music. Today, the big fad today is, is all age group or generational churches. There are churches that are all young people. There are churches that are all older people. And the sad part about it is you don't have the generations coming together, which the New Testament clearly said the generations need to be together. But that's the fad now. I, I heard somebody just this week quote, quoted saying, I don't want to go to that church because it's a general, generationally mixed church. I don't want to go to that church because there are people who are older than I am or younger than I am. Isn't that silly? But you know, that's becoming a thing. 
So we use preferences just to, I like a red brick church. I like a church with stained glass windows. I like a church that meets in a storefront. The strange, things about, strange thing about being a church member is that you actually give up your preferences when you join. Don't get me wrong, he says, there may be much about your church that you like a lot, but you are there to meet the needs of others. You are there to serve others. You are there to give, you are there to give and you are there to sacrifice. That's the whole concept of church. We're called out by God in Christ, not to create a club, but to be the body of Christ. We're called out to be a unique people, a holy nation unto God. We're called out to be the reflector of God's glory. We're called out to be the alarm of God's judgment. We're not called here to make ourselves fat and happy. So take your Bibles with me, if you will, and turn to Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Philippians chapter 2. And before we begin, I still want to have a word of prayer and ask God to guide us and lead us this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the music that we've just participated in, the worship, Lord. And I pray it truly was worship. I pray that our hearts and minds were, were brought to you, Father. I pray that, Lord, we can set aside all the anxieties and the angers that we've experienced this week. And I pray that we can come in this place this morning and I pray that we can forget about who's here. We can forget about the climate. We can forget about the comfort or lack thereof of the chair. We can forget about the color of the building. We can forget about where the flags are, where the plants are. We can forget about all those things. And Lord, most importantly, we can forget about ourselves and focus on you. And Father, as we seek your face, may you reveal it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we need to set aside our preferences. How do we do that? Where's our pattern for that? Well, as you look in Philippians chapter 2, you and I are going to see the pattern for this. And listen, understand this. This is almost cliche, but Jesus is the pattern, the ultimate example. If you want to know how you're to conduct your life as a believer, look to Jesus Christ. I know some years ago you could buy, a, uh, you know, among many Christian tchotchkes that you can buy, you could buy a wristband that said WWJD, what would Jesus do? And the sad part about that thing is the commercialism of it overshadowed the truth of the concept. And that is, you and I are supposed to ask the question, what would Jesus do? as we make our choices, as we, as we make our schedules, as we spend our money, as we raise our children, as we go in different directions. What would Jesus do? And that even is more so evident in the church of Jesus Christ, for we are his body, as we saw a few weeks ago, and he is the head. And here's the thing about that whole biological concept. Your body isn't supposed to do anything that your head doesn't want it to do. If all of a sudden you're standing there and your arm starts moving or your face starts twitching or your foot starts uh, moving, that's not, that's not natural. That's a problem. You go to a doctor for that. There are many people that suffer and struggle with that because it's not supposed to happen. The head is supposed to direct the body, not the other way around. But that's where we are in the church today in the 21st century in America and in many parts of the world. 
The body is trying to tell the head, Lord, this is what I want. Lord, this is what I'm going to do. Hey, Lord, are you paying attention to me? These are my preferences. I want a church that does X, Y, and Z. And if it doesn't do that, I'm going to run off and find another one. And that's why we struggle in churches today. And we need to say it again. We've said it so many times. It is not about me. It is not about you. So what do we do? How do we do this practically? How do we do this day to day? Well, we first need to get the mind of Christ. Since he is the head of the body, and the body is supposed to function according to his leadership, according to his orders, according to his uh, uh, headship, we are to get the mind of Christ. And we see this in Philippians. Now, you talk about somebody who is involved in church work, not living out his preferences. We went through the book of Philippians last year. Paul, who wrote this to encourage the people of God who were in churches across Europe at that time. And Paul writing it from jail. And here he's encouraging them in jail. And so Paul here from jail, sitting in a jail cell, is writing to the church and trying to help the church understand what God needs them to do. And he's saying this, he said in chapter uh, 2, beginning in verse 5, he said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. In other words, you and I are to think the way Jesus thinks. You and I are to function as the body of Christ the way Jesus wanted his natural body to function. And Jesus, of course, gave his body on the cross. It was crucified. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. But he gave himself as a sacrifice. That is supposed to be our mind. We are to be sacrificial. Let's read it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. First of all, we need to make sure we have a mind of selflessness. Now understand this about Jesus. He is the second member of the Godhead, the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is fully God as well as being fully man. He's not half man and half God. That's, that's Greek, and he, Greek and Roman mythology. No, no. Jesus is, was fully God and fully man. In order to do what Jesus did, he had to leave the splendor of heaven and take on flesh. You and I can't even imagine what that's like because we are not God. God is different than we are. But the Bible says he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That's, it's a, not a very good translation in the English. Let me, let me kind of read it again and translate it more literally from the Greek. It says, who being in the form of God, he is God. He is the God in the flesh, did not consider it something to be grasped at, his equality with God. Something to be hung on to. In other words, he didn't go up in heaven and when the Father said to the Son, you need to go down there and make the payment for sin, Jesus didn't hang on and say, no, I'm not going. After all, I'm God. I'm, God. I'm not going down there. I, I, listen, I, I enjoy heaven. It's comfortable. I enjoy hearing the angels sing. I love the beauty of it. I'm God after all. I don't need to go down there. No, I'm not going down there. That's what it's talking about. As you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus was not excited about the concept and aspect of being crucified. 
As a matter of fact, in the garden the night before he was to be crucified, he prayed, remember? He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. The cup referring to the crucifixion, the pain and agony and embarrassment of that, the shame of that. He said, I don't want to drink that. I don't want to do that. Let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, he had a mind of selflessness. He didn't consider his position as the second member of the Godhead as God. He didn't consider it something he needed to hang on to. He was happy to let it be veiled in flesh. He was happy to leave the splendor of heaven to come to the misery of the world. That was his selflessness. And that is the mind that you and I need to have. It goes on to say, but made himself of no reputation. He went from being the greatest being, the great being, existence itself, God, to being somebody born in the corner of the world that nobody ever heard of, to a family no one knew. Who knew who Jesus was then? Just another Hebrew kid, just another Jewish kid. He didn't have a corporate office. He wasn't the prince of some nation. He wasn't some great general or some grand philosopher. He worked in a carpentry shop for his father, cutting stone and wood. He was ready to lay aside all of his reputation because he had a mind not just of selflessness, but of service. Because let's face it, servants aren't well thought of in our, even today, even in our egalitarian country today. I remember seeing pictures of the big gala at the Met in New York City. All the wealthy, rich, and famous were all the glitterati wearing their fancy dresses and all made up for the night and all decked out and all tricked out and all glamorous. And there's a picture of all the servants standing aside with masks and somber clothing on. Yes, that's United States 2021. No one, let's face it, even though service is an honorable position and no one should ever be ashamed of it, many people still are. I want my son or daughter to grow up be a doctor, a lawyer, a corporate president, a general. How would you feel if your child came in today and said, Dad, I think I want to grow up and be a janitor. Mom, I want to grow up and be a waitress. That's my goal. And again, there is not a thing wrong with either one of those jobs. Honest work. But our culture has messed that up. Jesus decided he was going to come in the form of a man. He was going to come and he had the mind of service, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form, look at this, of a bond servant. The Greek word there is word translated elsewhere, slave. Now there were slaves that were voluntary in biblical days and slaves that were involuntary. But nonetheless, you are not considered much. And we understand that from our country, which is we're still suffering from the repercussions of slavery in this country. But slaves were considered the bottom rung. So he said, not only did he take on the form of a man, but of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. He took on flesh and blood. God, who is limitless. God, who is not bound by space and time. God, who is transcendent, came and folded himself in flesh. Flesh that felt pain, flesh that felt thirst, flesh that felt chilled and cold in the winter and hot and sweaty in the summer. Flesh 
that stubbed toes, flesh that probably cut themselves, flesh. He felt everything and he experienced everything that you and I experienced. He didn't have to do that. And I don't imagine just like you and the things you and I deal with, it wasn't pleasant for him either at times. But nonetheless, he had the mind, the mind of Christ, listen, the mind of Christ is a mind of selflessness. The mind of Christ is a mind of service. I am going to put others first. I am coming as a servant. Here's the thing about church in America, especially. Most people come to church and expect to be served. I want the music to my liking. I want the pastor to shake my hand. They better come and jump and run when I say I need help. I want to make sure they're doing everything I want them to do. And if they're not doing everything I want them to do, I'll withhold my tithe. I've been threatened with that many times, by the way. If you don't come and see me when I stub my toe, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to badmouth you all over the state of North Carolina. I've, had, I've been told that before too. See, here's the thing. We come expecting to be served and the whole concept is we are here to serve. The mind of Christ was a mind of service. Even in Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It says elsewhere in Mark that he came to be served, to serve rather than to be served. He came to seek the lost. He came to save the lost. And he came to serve rather than to be served. He deserved to be served, but he didn't. He had a mind of service. Not only that, but it says here that Jesus had a mind of sacrifice. Look as we read on in verse 8. It says, And he, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Remember last week when we talked about humility? What does that mean? It's not that you put yourself down. Oh, I can't do it. I'm not as pretty. I'm not as strong. I'm not as, this. you know, it's not, that's not humility. Humility is not thinking ill of yourself. Humility is not putting yourself down. Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. It says, he being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became what? Obedient. Can you imagine? Stop there just a second. Can you imagine God being obedient to anybody? How is it if you are the, the creator of the universe, that you've existed for all eternity, that you are all powerful, there is no one or nothing more powerful than you, and yet he became obedient. Man, I can't get, couldn't get my kids half the time to be obedient. Can you imagine God? Stop and let that sink in. God in the, in the flesh became obedient to something. Don't just read over that. You think of the theological concept there. God in the flesh became obedient to the king. No, it doesn't say that. Obedient to the law. No, it doesn't say that. Obedient to the middle. No, look what it says. Obedient to what? Obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. His obedience was measured in his death. He became obedient to death. Here's the thing, you and I, listen. Let me share a statistic with you. You better write it down. You got a pen? Get your Apple pencil out, whatever, your lipstick, crayon. Here's a statistic you need to know. One out of every one human being dies. Did you write that down? It's hard to remember. One out of one, every human being dies. Listen, we can't, death is imminent unless the rapture happens. 
We're all facing it at some point. He didn't have to die. He didn't have to die. He's God. He doesn't have to do anything. But he allowed himself to be obedient to the point of death. And we're not talking about a death of ease laying in a bed struggling. We're not talking about just dropping dead. We're not talking about even uh, uh, being death, dead with, from a disease or an illness. Not just death, but the death of the cross. I haven't got time to get into the agonies and the shame of what being crucified is all about. Many of you have been around. You know this. Listen, it, 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 as, as you die, this is not the way you want to die. People say, well, what is the way you want to die? Well, that's, you know, that's another thing. But many people, you know, let's face it, we know we're going to die. We oftentimes hope we die in our sleep. I want to go to sleep and wake up in heaven. Wouldn't that be great? Amen. Amen. I remember a story of a 90-some-year-old pastor at a church, I think, in South Florida. And they invited him to come back and preach their homecoming message. And he got up and he preached a whale of the sermon. And then after he preached, he sat down on the front pew. And as they were singing the final hymn, he just slipped off into eternity. That's the way I want to go. Actually, I want to drop dead right here in front of you all to give you a story. But listen, <laughs> somebody pray for that. But... Jesus didn't, listen, he just wasn't obedient. He just said, okay, I'll die. He chose the most horrible, agonizing, shameful death you can imagine. Did he want to do that? Father, let this cup pass from me. But you remember how he finished that prayer? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You talk about the mind of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are supposed to have the mind of Christ. We are supposed to think the way he thinks. That's what it's all about because we are the body of Christ. If we don't, guess what? We're dysfunctional. When your body parts, remember we said the church is nothing more than the body parts of the body of Christ. When your body parts don't function, you got a problem. I went through a year of cancer treatment, chemo and radiation, all that stuff. My hands and feet are still numb. Sometimes I have trouble buttoning a collar or buttoning my sleeves. Sometimes I think I've got something and I don't and, I, and it'll fall. I have, when I walk down steps, I have to hold on because I have a hard time sometimes feeling the floor. Okay, you'll see me hover around this nice sturdy pulpit sometimes because I have to kind of hang on to that because I don't want to stumble. See, what's going on is my body is not cooperating with my brain. And so it causes problems. This is what goes on when the church has not got the mind of Christ, does not have the mind of Christ. The body parts start to malfunction. They start to take care of themselves. They start to do things on their own. And there's trouble. We need to have the mind of Christ. Where do we get the mind of Christ? Well, here's the thing. This is why Bible study is so important. This is why we need to make sure we get into Scripture and study and learn just breeze through on devotion, but take some time and learn who Jesus is. What did he do? What kind of things did he say in circumstances? What kind of decisions did he make? Why did he make them? What is his goal? We need to have the mind of Christ. Now understand this, when the church does have the mind of Christ, what happens? Well, we'll see the magnifying of Christ. And understand this, this is why we exist, by the way, as a church. 
We exist to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to a fallen and broken world. In our Sunday school classes this morning, our Bible study classes this morning, we looked at Genesis chapter 3 and we saw the horrible damages that sin has caused. Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, it just took a beautiful, wonderful thing that God had created and poisoned it and marred it and destroyed it to a great extent. Not only were humanity, uh, not only did humanity suffer from sin, but nature itself suffered from sin. We are messed and we are a mess because of our sin. And so therefore it was necessary for Christ to come. And our job is to magnify Christ, the answer for humanity's sin to the world. So if we as the church have the mind of Christ, this is the outcome. We will magnify Christ. And that's what we're here to do. We're not here to fix all of the world's problems per se. We're here to bring the answer to the world's problems. And that is Jesus. Look what goes on to say. Look what happened when Jesus did this. When Jesus had a mind of, of selflessness, when Jesus had a mind of service and sacrifice, even to the death of the cross, this was the outcome. Look at verse 9. Notice the magnification. It says, therefore, God also has highly what? Exalted him. And that word exalted him literally means to put him up on a pedestal, to put him on high. Therefore, the God also highly exalted him and gave him and has given him the name which is above every name. Jesus Christ is exalted. He's magnified. And that is what our job is to do. When the church is doing what it is supposed to be doing, when we're doing what we're told that we are to do, we are to be magnifying Jesus Christ. In other words, lifting Him up. It's amazing that all the arguments the churches get into, all the fusses and fights we have, it's not about Jesus Christ, it's about what we want. It's about our opinion. Well, I'm going to go into a business meeting and share my opinion. Understand, your opinion isn't any better than mine is and vice versa. And it's not my opinion that matters, nor is it your opinion that matters. What matters is, are we exalting Jesus Christ? What matters is, are we honoring him? Are we giving him glory? Are we lifting him up? That is what the church is supposed to be doing. When we gather to worship, we shouldn't come and say, well, I hope they sing the songs I like. I hope the preacher preaches a funny sermon so I can laugh and have a good time. I hope it's comfortable. I hope it's warm enough. I hope it's cool enough. I hope so-and-so doesn't show up because they really get on my nerves. <laughs> Here's what we should be saying. When I go to church, I hope I can lift up Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. You know what? If they don't sing the songs you like, oh well. It's not about you anyway. This is not for you. It's not for me. I know when I'm saying this, it's going for some in one ear and out the other. I understand that. But this is the truth that you and I will be held accountable to one day. He tells Paul, Paul says, have the mind of Christ. And if we do, this is what happens. Jesus Christ, when a church, when a believer is an individual and a church as a collective has the mind of Christ, Jesus Christ is going to be exalted. Here's the thing. If you ever go to a worship service and people say, oh, I went to this wonderful worship service. It was a wonderful experience. It was great. Oh, God was really lifted up. You know what? If you really went to a service that lifted Christ up, you wouldn't think about it after it was over. 
because it, would, you, it wouldn't matter to you one way or the other. It's not about your experience. Disney World is about your experience. Movies you watch are about your experience. A, re, a meal you have in a restaurant is about your experience, not church. It's about him. He is to be exalted. Not only that, but he is to be glorified. It's to be about him. Notice what it says in verse 10. He said that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth. In other words, one day, one day, every knee is going to bow to Christ. In my apologetics program, as I'm studying in seminary, I read book after book of atheists and by atheists and about atheism. Oh, and there's some mean atheists out there. There are some atheists that curse God, call Christ a tyrant, say that if there is a God, he's racist, homophobic, misogynist, hates women. And man, they just pour out poison after poison concerning God, Christ, Christianity, and the church. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. One day, those same voices and those same knees will be bowing to Jesus Christ. The only problem is many of them will be bowing in hell and it'll be too late. See, because people think, oh, I'll just go to hell. That's where the party will be. Let me tell you what's going to happen in hell. There will be suffering and torment for all eternity. And part of that suffering and torment is going to be your voice ringing through your ear throughout eternity. God, get away from me. God, leave me alone. God, I don't want anything to do with you. And one day, even the people in hell are going to bend the knee to Jesus Christ. He says that. He says, he says every knee should bow. Those in heaven... Those on earth and those under the earth. One day every, not some, every knee will bow and give him the glory. So here's the thing for you and I. Don't you think we ought to get on board with that now? Don't you think we ought to get on board with that now? The church, we're not supposed to glorify you and me. We're not supposed to glorify the United States of America, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, the Republicans, the Democrats. We're not supposed to glorify the preacher. We're not supposed to glorify anybody. We are supposed to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And if we are not doing that, then we are wrong. We're wrong. It's about him. Why glorify him? Because our job, again, is to point people to him. But you know why these pews and these seats are empty? Because more often than not, people are looking at themselves, or more often than not, the church is pointing to the church and not to the body of Christ, not Christ. We are to glorify Him, because one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, as we see next. He is, he is to be exalted. If, the, if we're magnifying Christ and do what we're supposed to be doing, Christ is going to be exalted. He is going to be glorified and he is going to be proclaimed. Not only will every knee bow, but look what it says as we finish. Verse 11, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is, Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That one day he will proclaim the truth. I mean, the church rather will proclaim the truth. That is what we are to be about now. One day, yes, the atheists, the skeptics, other religions, one day everybody will claim Jesus Christ and glorify him and communicate him. And understand this, that is why we are here. That is what the church exists for. The body of Christ to be sacrificed. We are to bear our cross so that we might take the good news of his sacrifice to those who don't know him. Everything else is peripheral. 
Everything else is on the side. Everything we do in the church and as the church should be going to do that goal. When, when I was talking to Jenny Varney before the church service out in the lobby, and we had something in common. We both were raised on Air Force bases. Okay. I was raised at MacDill Air Force Base. She was in a base in Germany. We were talking about, oh, we've been to the commissary, the BX. We were talking about things we had in common. Let me tell you about the base. Yeah, the base had my, uh, the base, we were at MacDill Air Force Base. It had a grocery store, had a little small mall called the BX. It had a movie theater. There was a hospital. There was doctor's offices. I, we, I went to the dentist on the base. We had even a base beach. It was a horrible place, but there was a beach. But all of those things served to meet the needs of the, of the military personnel so that they might do one thing, defend the United States of America. Now, everything in our church, we're, we're, this isn't a base, by, I mean, a place, by the way. This is a base, at least it's supposed to be. And everything that goes on here, everything that is done here should not just because I want to make somebody happy. And let me say this, say this again. I've said it before. I do not exist as your pastor to make you happy. I love you. I do. But if you're not happy with me, I have a, a Greek phrase for you. Oh, well. <laughs> Because that is not my job and not my goal. My goal is to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Amen. And my goal is to lead you to do the same. That's it. And we do that by living for him, honoring him, and going out and telling of him. Glorifying him, exalting him, and proclaiming him. Going out and sharing the good news. That's what the job of the church is. Because one day every tongue will confess. But there will be some again who are in hell and then it'll be too late for them. Oh, they'll confess Jesus is Lord. But it'll be too late because they should have confessed that beforehand. And I don't know if this is true. This is a Mikeism. You can take it or leave it. But I don't know if they won't look it up and say, why didn't you tell me? You wonder sometimes because the Bible says there will be a time of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth in heaven. Did you know that? Read the end of the book of Revelation. Yes, he will dry every tear from our eyes. But I wonder if that weeping and wailing will be us discovering the opportunities lost. The times ignored. And people we could have shared the gospel with that we didn't do it. I hope to heaven I haven't lost and left out anybody as far as reaching out to them. Our job is to communicate the gospel everything else needs to support that. Everything else we do needs to support that goal. When we have a fall party, a drive-through trunk or treat, that should be to get the gospel out. When we have an egg hunt out in the lawn, that should be to get the gospel out. If we have anything going on, anything outside of this worship service that we do, that should be to get the gospel out. And even in the church service, we should share the gospel in the music and in the preached word. We should make sure people know that Jesus loves them, died on the cross for them, and took the blame for their sin and rose again from the dead. So the bottom line is this, folks. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I like. And again, I said this last week, I'm the pastor of the church. And I don't get everything that I want in the church. And sometimes that's a good thing because, listen, I'm just as human as you are. And the things I might want might not be good for the church. I'm the leader of the church. My task is to lead you to this place where we glorify God. But if we, if we have the mind of Christ, if we are selfless servants who sacrifice as Christ sacrificed, then we can't help but magnify Jesus. 
And you know what he said in John chapter 12? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. You say, Pastor, I wonder why people, people don't come and visit our church more often. No, number one, you as the body of Christ, we as the body of Christ aren't pointing them to Christ. If we were lifting up Jesus in our personal lives, our family lives, and our church lives, we'd draw people to him. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to accomplish. Rayner says this as we finish. He says, we will never find joy in church membership when we are constantly seeking things our own way. We will never find joy in the church membership when we are constantly seeking things our way. But paradoxically, we will find the greatest joy when we choose to be last. That's what Jesus meant when he said the last will be first. True joy means giving up our rights and preferences and serving everybody else. So here's the last pledge, the third pledge rather. Here's the pledge that church members as we make based on scripture from Rainer's book, but he based it on scripture. Here it is. I, here's the pledge that you and I should be making as members of West Concord Baptist Church and the body of Christ in total. He says, I am a church member. I will not let my church be about my preferences and desires. Do you have the courage to say that? That is self-serving. I am a member in this church to serve others and to serve Christ. My Savior went to a cross for me. I can deal with my inconvenience and, and, and matters that just, just aren't my preference or style. I can, you know, when things don't go, I, there might be a song I don't care for. There might be a, uh, something going on. I, I can deal with that as long as it doesn't compromise the word or the mission. Because it's not about me. I'm the lead pastor and it's not about me. So there's the pledge. I am a church member. I will not let my church be about my preferences and desires. That is self-serving. I am a member in this church to serve others and to serve Christ. My Savior went to a cross for me. I can deal with my inconveniences and matters that just aren't my preference or style. Yep, sometimes church is going to be inconvenience, inconvenient. Sometimes we're going to deal with things that you don't like. Sometimes we're going to do things that you don't like. Sometimes we're going to make mistakes. But understand this, you as a church member are just as responsible for the success of this church as I am. And Aaron. And Mike. And the deacon body. And we need to set aside our preferences and focus on him. That's the key. Because that's why Jesus came. He died on the cross. Took the blame for our sin. He was buried and rose again from the dead. And when you believe on him, trust in him. You now become part of the body of Christ. And no longer is life about you. It's about him. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.